back in the saddle. But still it was plain that he approached Martindale very much in doubt as to the reception that waited for him there. As if to hasten the conclusion, the moment the hoofs of Sally touched the smooth trail that slid down the valley floor, he gathered her to a fast gallop. She came up on the bit in a flash, eager to stretch out at full speed, and under the iron restraint of his wrist her neck bowed. There was no suggestion of daintiness about her now. She was all power, all flying speed, all mighty lungs and generous heart, and she rushed down the trail with that deceptively easy long stride that only a blooded horse can have. But even in the midst of her joyous gallop, the mind of the master guided and controlled her, not with a tug of the reins, but with a word and at his voice she canted her head just a trifle to one side, in the beautiful way that horses have, and seemed to listen and read his mind and his heart. Not so fast, Sally, he was saying. Not so fast, old girl. We're going into Martindale at full gallop, and we may go out again with twenty men and horses on our heels. Well, that won't be anything new to us, huh? The wind had picked up a little whirl of dust before her. She cleared it from her nostrils with a snort and then came back to an easier gait, smooth as flowing water. Her rider sat like a rock. And so they came to the outskirts of Martindale. It was one of those typical mountain towns, weather-stained, wind-racked, with the huddling houses that gave a comfortable promise of warmth in the winter snows and of cool shade in the summer. Andrew Lanning called Sally to a walk and went slowly along the main street. If Martindale were awake, it only opened one eye at Andrew Lanning. There were no people at windows or on porches, so far as he could see, and very few sounds of life from the interiors of the shacks. The predominant sound was the dismal bellowing of a cow on a hillside pasture above the town a disconsolate mother mourning for a son who had gone to make veal for the hungry. Not a particularly cheery welcome for Andrew Lanning, and his heart grew heavier with every step Sally took. His manner had changed the moment he came between the two line of houses that fenced him in. He sat bolt erect in the saddle, looking straight ahead of him. But his eyes had that curious alert blankness of the pugilist who looks into your eyes and is nevertheless watching your hands. Andrew Lanning was watching while he stared straight down the street, every window, every door, every yard that he passed. And when a little girl of nine or ten years came out on the porch of a shack, a quiver ran through the body of the rider before he saw that the newcomer was harmless. He turned squarely toward the child, whose great eyes were staring at the beauty of the horse. Andrew brought Sally to a halt. Hello, Judy, he called. Have you forgotten me? Oh, my! Oh, my land! exclaimed Judy, clasping her hands after a grown-up fashion. Oh, Andy, you did come back! He chuckled, but his glance slipped up and down the street before he answered. Don't they expect me? Of course they don't. Didn't Hal Dozier tell him I was coming? He did, but nobody believed it. My dad said... She stopped and choked back the next words. He leaned a little from the saddle.
Judy. You ain't afraid of me. Her hands were clasped again. She came toward him with slow, dragging steps, as though her curiosity were gradually conquering her timidity. And all the while, she peered into his face. Something approaching a smile began to grow on her lips. Why, Andy, you ain't so much changed. You're most awful brown, and you're thinner, and you're older. But you ain't changed. I think you're even a lot nicer. Is this the hoss that everybody talks about all the time? Is this Sally? This is Sally. Do you know where I got her? Did you... Did you shoot somebody for her? His lips twitched. A little boy gave her to me, Judy. What do you think of that? I don't see how...